out um, uh, in the book of Ezekiel, and it's kind of this kind of what we're talking about. It's kind of the book of Ezekiel. We're kind of talking uh, about some of the scriptures in Ezekiel, and she talked about the temple and the river that came out of the temple, and uh, us taking our relationship further. And it was yeah, she yeah she she ripped it. So if you if you missed it last week, it is it's on our. It is on our website, and it's on SoundCloud, so you can go back and re-listen to that. Now, for me, this uh, message that I have, I've been wrestling with it for a while because, um, because it's kind of hard. So, I don't know about you, I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not one of the type of people that enjoy giving discipline. I mean, I don't, I don't just like to come home and say, Hey kids, it's time for discipline today, and you know, and, and line them up and, and give them all paddles. That's that's not my heart. Um, so I've got this corrective word that I, that I need to share, but I want to I want to guys let I want you guys to to know this because it says in Galatians chapter six, it says, brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. It says, but watch yourselves, or you yourself may be tempted. So I, I say that to say this. Friends, gentleness is the key in bringing correction. It's the key. And many of us don't function. And a lot of times if we have a, a corrective word, maybe for our, our children or something, we usually do it in harshness and anger. So I'm going to present this corrective word in Ezekiel. I'm going to try to do it with gentleness this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, turn your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 22. That's what we're going to be reading. I'm going to give a little bit of a preface here, and then we're going to go into Ezekiel chapter 22. Okay, Ezekiel is a book... Uh, that chapters 1 through 3 describe his powerful encounters that he has with God and his commissioning. Then chapters 4 through 24, uh, it is the records of Ezekiel's hard-hitting, bone-crushing message to Judah and Jerusalem, an inescapable, inescapable approaching judgment because their persistent rebellion and apostasy. I use that word apostasy, and maybe you don't know what that word means, and so here's a definition of it. It's up on the screens. It's kind of a big word uh, that, that uh, you might have heard before. Maybe you haven't. Okay, And uh, the word apostasy is from the Greek, um, and, and it uh, means uh, abandonment or renunci- uh, renunciation of religious faith, also uh, a rejection of beliefs that were once held and accepted, Different beliefs also, abandonment and defiance of what was previously held to be true in practice. So when you hear that word apostasy, it means that at one time you held a specific set of beliefs in high regard, but now you don't any longer. Biblical beliefs. And the thing that gets me about this is back in the summer, last summer, the Lord spoke to me very clearly, and, uh, and it was quite frightening. And this is what he said, and I haven't shared it with our body until today. And this is what he said. I shared it with my wife and some of our leaders. He said, now is the age of the church of apostasy. Now is the age of the church of apostasy, meaning that there are going to be churches that rise up that at one time had a specific set of values and beliefs and they're going to turn from them. Okay, chapters 25 through 32 are prophecies 
where he is actually bringing uh, prophetic messages against foreign nations. And then chapters 33 through chapters 48 of Ezekiel are prophetic messages of comfort and future hope after Jerusalem's fall. We have the Valley of, of Dry Bones. We have the vision of the temple and the river, what Pastor Joy preached last week. And, uh, and, and this, is the sad, this is the hard thing. In the account of Ezekiel in chapter 10, the glory departs from the temple. Do you know that? The glory departs from the temple. It doesn't actually come back until chapter 43. So today we're going to read chapter 22, which is, which is right in the middle of Ezekiel. It's, it's right before the fall and, and before they're, they're, they're led into captivity of Babylon. Okay? It's, and, it's, and, it's, uh, and it's kind of uh, in between. Uh, the glory has departed. God has lifted his hand and his presence from Israel. He's bringing numerous rebukes to the people of Israel, and it's right before captivity happens. Okay, so we're going to read chapter 22. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel. Okay, I read through, I actually was just refreshing myself with the whole book and was reading all the way through. And I'm telling you, there was this, there was this, this, uh, I don't know how to explain it um, in my spirit, just like, like a grieving just because of the, the, I believe there's just such a correlation with the church of today and things. So, are you ready to, to put on your hard hats this morning? Can you put on your, can you put on your, your, your steel toe boots this morning? Is it okay? <laughs> Ezekiel chapter 22, we're going to read the word of the Lord here. It's going to be up on the screen. If you want to follow along, also... Um, you know, you can read, read right along. We're going to be reading out of the NIV. I'm going to actually read the whole chapter of 22, but the preface of what we're going to be talking about is actually verses 23 through 31, but I can't just read that part without giving you kind of a background. I've got to read the whole chapter. So if you can hang with me, because a lot of times when, when we start reading the Word is when people start dozing off, they start, you know, their, 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 their brain starts thinking about all these things. And so say this with me, say, in the name of Jesus, I will keep... My attention on the Word of God. All right. Okay, here we go. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then the Word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, will you judge her? Will you judge this city of bloodshed? Then confront her with all her detestable practices. And say, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. O city that brings on herself doom by shedding blood in the mist and defiles her by making idols, you have become a guilty... You have become guilty because of the bloodshed, because of the blood you have shed, and have become defiled by the idols you have made. You have brought your days to a close, to a close, and the end of your days have come. Therefore, I will make you an object of scorn to the nations and a laughing stock to all the countries, those who are near and those who are far. Away will mock you, O infamous city full of turmoil. See how each of the princes of Israel who are in you uses his power to shed blood. In you, they have treated father and mother with contempt. In you, they have oppressed the alien and mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and desecrated my Sabbaths. You are, in, you are slaughterous men bent on shedding blood. In you are those who eat at the mountain shrines and commit lewd acts. In you are those who dishonor their father's bed. In you are those who violate women during their period when they are ceremonially unclean. 
In you, one man commits a detestable offense with his neighbor's wife. Another shamefully defiles his daughter-in-law. And another violates his sister. His own father's daughter. In you, men, accept brides, bribes and shed blood. You take usury and excessive interest and make unjust gains from your neighbors by extortion. You have forgotten me, declares the Lord. Verse 13. I will surely strike my hands together an unjust gain. You have made and at the blood you've shed in your midst. You will, will, you, will your courage endure or the hands be strong in the day I deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I will disperse you among the nations and scatter you throughout the countries and I will put an end to your uncleanness. Verse 16. When you have been defiled in the eyes of the nations, you will know that I am the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. All of them are copper, tin, iron, and left inside the furnace. They are but the dross of silver. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you have all become dross, I will gather you into Jerusalem. As men gather silver, copper, iron, lead, and tin in the furnace and melt it with a fiery blast. So I will gather you in my anger and my wrath and put you inside the city and melt you. I will gather you and I will blow you with my fiery wrath and you will be melted inside her. A silver is melted in a furnace and so you will be melted inside her and you will know that I am the Lord who has poured out my wrath upon you. Okay, now, now we're going to actually get into uh, the verses we're going to talk about here today. You guys staying with me? All right. Verse 23. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the land, you are a land that has no rain or showers in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people, take treasures and precious things and make widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common and they teach There is no difference between the unclean and the clean, and they shut their eyes in keeping my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Verse 27. Her officials within her are like wolves, tearing their prey. They shed blood, kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. This is what the Lord has spoken. Verse 29, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the alien, denying them justice. Verse 30, I looked for a man among them. Do you get a, do you get a preface of who them are? I looked for a man among all that he just described in the first 29 verses. Who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. On behalf of the land, so that I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. So as we read this, I know this is a very sobering chapter, and the thing is, as many scholars and modern prophetic voices like Perry Stone, for instance, they say that ancient Israel and modern America have a lot of parallels. 
from having a foundation of being birthed on biblical principles coming out of a state of oppression like ancient Egypt with Israel and out of a uh, tyrannical Europe on America's side, both uh, being bu- building a society on the biblical law, forefathers who had a commitment to God's law and God's word. And, uh, and so there are people that... When, so when I read this, I'm in my heart and spirit paralleling what's going on in our day when I read this. So when I read this, I don't just think, oh man, sorry for Israel. They sure did blow it. <laughs> I read this and it's like the, the words are, are popping out on the page because they can be applied today. I want to highlight and specifically pinpoint uh, four corrective rebukes. And the first one that I want to highlight here this morning is verse 26. It says, her priest, and then he goes on to say this, her priest do this. They do violence to my law, profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between clean and clean, and they shut their eyes to the keeping of the Sabbath. So he's saying, basically, he says, they do violence to my law. What is he saying? He's saying they abuse the Bible. They teach wrong doctrine. They give God's name a bad reputation. Friends, we can coincide this with some spiritual leaders of today. Some spiritual leaders of America. Not all, but some. Instead of being loyal to our calling, and and instead of calling people to repentance from sin... There are people that use their position for financial gain and give themselves to sinful gratification. And when we do this, friends, we're not only harming people's lives, but we're misleading them. We give God's name a bad rap in the process. I just heard a story about a man who was, or actually I was reading a book and he was giving a story about a man who, he was in ministry for 20 some years and he was a, he was a, 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 an evangelist who went around and, and, and was preaching the word. And so for the first few years when he was going, he was going all through um, uh, the southern states and, 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 you know, in all kinds of states and stuff. And, and he's preaching the word and for the first few years of his life, I mean, I mean, it was genuine, it was authentic. But then what happened was everybody started giving him praise because of his giftings and because of how anointed he was and because of the words that he was sharing, and it started to get to his head. Then he, what happened was he started to, he started to, to, to make so many uh, uh, different appointments that, that he would be going from place to place to place to place, and what happened was his own devotional life started to, 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 to fall apart, and so he just started preaching, he just started spending time with God to preach the messages that God was giving him. And it wasn't, it wasn't a, a long after that when he actually started feeling the Lord leaving him, but yet because people were still praising him and giving him all of this, these accolades that he continued to do what he did. And it wasn't long after that that he found himself starting to have sexual affairs with these different women at these different churches, but nobody knew about it because he was anointed and he was preaching and because of his giftings. And it wasn't, and he did this for 20 years. And then there was a time where the Lord grabbed a hold of his heart and said, do you know for 20 years you've done ministry for yourself and not a single lick of that was for me? And the Lord grasped a hold of his heart and he repented and he got right. Friends, that happens all too often in our day and age. There are people that use their position for financial gain and or or use their position and just like the priests in Ezekiel's time they make the pro, they make the holy things profane and they do not distinguish between the holy and the common 
James tells the rich rulers in chapter 5 and verse 5, it's, it's a scripture, it's one of those bone-crushing, hard-hitting scriptures found in the New Testament, and it's in Matthew, or excuse me, James chapter 5, verse 5, and he says, you have lived in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fat in yourselves in the day of slaughter. Friends, that's exactly what was happening to the priests here, because instead of preparing God's people for Babylon that was going to come and overtake them, they were using their position for financial gain. Our job as followers of Christ, our job as, mi- as ministers, our job is to do what? Is to lead people to Christ and to what? To teach them of the wrath that's going to happen if we don't fully yield and commit ourselves to Him. The sad thing is in this time, Babylon, uh, uh, destruction was right at the doorstep. And for us, friends, uh, no man knows the day or the hour which Christ will come back, and many of us, we don't know the day or hour when, when maybe our life will be required of us. We don't know. So God had a rebuke for the priest of his time. I believe it still happens in our day and age. Number two, he highlights in verse 27, her officials. He says, her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood, kill people, making unjust gain. Like wolves, what do they do? They eat people alive. They kill just to make unjust gain. It reminds me of our day and age, and we can even attribute political leaders of our time that do the exact same thing. Not all, but some. Okay, there is such corruption that happens amongst uh, uh, po- politics that, and I've felt this for years, but yet it still goes on. Friends, it's appalling that money will motivate people's decisions and money will move people to make laws. It's sad to me that it happens, but it does. When people get rich off of being bought, friends, and it should be a given because obviously we have multiple ungodly people in political office. So why should we, why should we assume anything less than when you have people that don't have principles, character, and godliness? And that's what happened. There was officials of their, of their day, and they were eating people alive to get money and things like that. Israel had people in office making unjust gain, making unjust laws, legalizing sin and wickedness. Friends, we're in the exact same boat. We're in the exact same boat. Verse number 28, we're going to read number 3 here. It says, her prophets. Verse 28 It says, her prophets whitewash their deeds for them by false visions and by lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. When the Lord has not spoken. There's a book by John Brevere called Thus Saith the Lord, one of the most powerful prophetic books I've ever read. And he talks about how there were these people that were very prophetic. and, And he had some different prophetic words spoken over him and some different things where he gives some accounts where these people follow these prophetic words. There's a prophetic word that's given to them and then they follow them and then by following these words, actually what it does is it derails their relationship with God. And that's exactly what's happening here in, in Ezekiel's time. There were, these prophets were whitewashing the deeds of the officials they weren't doing, if, if, if they had the voice of the Lord, they would say, turn from your sin, judgment is coming, Babylon is at the door. No, what they were saying, the, the message that they were preaching was one of prosperity. 
They were saying the Lord is going to, he's going to uh, uh, keep us from Babylon. And all of these words that itched people's ears. Whitewashing actually means, maybe if you know what it means or not, in this connotation, you know, it doesn't mean to, to, to whitewash a wall with paint, which is another uh, definition. But in this connotation, what whitewash means is to prevent people from learning the truth about something bad or something dishonest, immoral or illegal, an, an illegal act or situation. So when you whitewash, it means you prevent them from knowing the truth. I don't know about you, friends, but I don't ever want to be a person that whitewashes. No matter how hard it is. A lot of the prophets, again, like I said, they were prophesying prosperity to Israel. They They were prophesying this while Babylon was at the doorstep and captivity was their destiny. There was no fear of God on His judgment as they persisted in their sin. It's the same today, friends. Ministers can comfort people in their sin, making them feel good. Perhaps saying stuff like, well, everybody sins, or, or, or lines like, um, you know, it's God knows your heart. He absolutely does. And it's deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can master it? He knows your heart. He knows how deceitful it is. Or, or perhaps, you know, perhaps they, they say, you know, it's impossible to live above sin and immorality. Or, or, or perhaps, you know, you're only human. Nobody is perfect. What, whatever it is, excuses they use not to, not to preach about what God has called us to do. Well, we're saved. And, you know, you can pretty much, you know, you're good to go after that. A few years ago, back on, the, on, our, on our basketball court, there were these two evangelists. <laughs> and uh, and luckily we had one of our guys out there, and so so these two evangelists uh, they were uh, there was a handful of our guys out on our basketball court, and so they gathered them up and they're talking to them and they're ministering the gospel to them, and and they asked them if they wanted to get saved, and they're like, yeah, this, that, and the other, and so so they led them in the sinner's prayer and all this other stuff, and then the one said, well, you know, now you're saved, you're good to go, you can go and rob a bank, and God still forgive you. Luckily, we had somebody out there that said, hold up. But, and they were young men. Where are they learning that from? They're learning it from someone. Someone's teaching it to them. Or maybe you would even hear something like this. Well, God doesn't see our sin because we're believers and he sees Christ's righteousness. I don't know about that. People can manipulate Scripture. No, friends. If we are the righteousness of God, the Bible says that we are to keep our garments without blemish. We're to keep our garments clean. How do we keep our garments clean? It's a daily, daily act towards Him. Friends, I'm sorry. In the name of Jesus, as long as I have breath, Friends, I'm never going to allow any of these fallacies to happen from this pulpit. We can't. As we preach this series, God is calling us to, to want more. As we're preaching this series called Wanting More. Friends, 
if we truly do want more, then let's get rid of the mask and let's stop being fake at church. Can we do that? I've been preaching this for a number of years. God wants to marry our home life with our church life. He wants to marry our home life with our church life. You can ask anybody I know. I don't know. See, I was saved radically, so I don't know how to fake the funk and, 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 and say the right things. I just don't. God saved me radically, so I love him radically. And anything that you hear here, here, here is what you'll hear at my home. And if, and if I don't say it at home, I don't say it here. That's why I'll say crap from the pulpit, because that's what I say at home. <laughs> so it is what it is. Because I don't want I don't want to put on a mask or a facade like I'm all this or, or that I have it all together and be like, praise God and all this. And yet I don't talk like that. How you hear me talk here is how you're going to hear me talk out there. It's how you're going to hear me talk to my wife. And it's how you're going to hear me talk to my spouse or, or my son, my daughters, all this, my spouse. And I say all of this. I say all of this not to yay, look at Josh, pat myself on the back. I say all of this because, friends, I have to set the example because we got too many people that are leaving churches because they're sick and tired of hypocrisy. It hurts my heart to know people have a bad taste of Jesus. Not because of what Jesus did was because they had a bad taste of somebody who was representing him. It's my heart. Let's get rid of the mask. Friends, let's be real. God has this new thing. Say, God is doing a new thing. Do you know what it's called? It's called be real. It's actually an old thing. <laughs> God is doing a new thing. It's called be real. Be real with him. Be real with people. And this is the most important, friends. Be real with yourself. Be real with yourself. We like to fool ourselves. I got this under control. No, you don't. You don't. If you got it under control, then really it isn't really in control. Because it's obviously controlling you. Friends, I don't understand how people can read the Bible, can hear it preached, can have their eyes open to God's holy standard for living, and yet continue to live in sin. I'm not talking about first-time guests here today. I'm not talking about if you, if you have just been coming to church for a few years. I'm talking about people that have gone to church for a long time and yet still continue in sin. How can we read or hear 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9-11, through 11, where it says the sexual immoral with a list of all these others will not inherit the kingdom of God? Yet sex outside of marriage and, and, and adultery runs rampant in the church today. I don't know what part of you having sexual relations with a person that you do not have a marriage certificate with is sin and will lead you to hell. Don't we understand? I say this with grace, friends. Because the one sin that we allow in our lives that will lead us so quickly there is that immorality. And it's running rampant in God's house. It's running rampant. Ministers are falling every month because of adulterous affairs.
What are we going to do about it? This is, it's been entrusted to us. What part of Jesus' teaching where he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and 28, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, commits adultery with her in his heart, is unclear. Why is pornography so prevalent among God's people? This is exactly why God brought a rebuke to Israel. Because on the outside, they were like, everything is all good. But yet on the inside, there was dead man's bones. It's got to stop. We can't come here. Man, God bless us with his presence in such a powerful way. He wants to show you. He accepts you. But you can't stay where you're at. He's willing to love you right in your sin. While I was a yet sinner, Christ died for me. He reached out, he looked at Josh Hester in his sin of adultery and perversion and wickedness and, and addiction and said, son, I love you, and he grasped the hold of me. And then my, my, the illumination of my heart and my mind became alive when his word began to speak, and I realized how much my God loves me, and I can't continue doing what I'm doing, and I had to change my heart. I didn't come to church and justify myself and say, God loves me. Because when I realized that he really loved me, and it was from nail-pierced hand to nail-pierced hand, I knew the one thing that had to change, and it wasn't God's word that's been solid, and it's been the same for thousands of years. No, it was Josh Hester's lifestyle that had to change. And I'm not saying that I don't struggle, I still struggle, but friends, I live victorious! I live victorious. Friends, if we're hungry for more of God, then we need to be hungry for holiness. We need to be hungry for holiness. God is wanting holiness. What does that mean? That means to be set apart for Him. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 is very clear. It says, without holiness, no one. see God which tells me that I can't live a life of sin and expect for for me to go through the pearly gates I gotta leave that at the altar it's grace is sufficient without holiness verse 29 her people of the land they practice extortion Commit robbery, they oppress the poor and needy, and they mistreat the alien and deny them justice. Doesn't this sound like our people? To me, this sounds a lot like our cities of today. Talking about the people of the land, it sounds to me like a lot of our neighborhoods. I mean, we've come in a day and age, I mean, you, I'm, I'm watching on, on the news and seeing... When has it ever been appropriate for you to rob an old lady and and knock her lights out and steal her purse? When was that ever appropriate? Not that robbery is appropriate, but man, we've just gone to the very next level. But that's what they were doing. What did he say? It said they what? 
They oppressed the poor and the needy and mistreated the alien. They came to a point where they didn't care. I don't care if you're a grandma. I don't care if you're single. I don't care if you have a baby. I'm gonna, you're going to be oppressed. I'm going to steal from you. I'm going to rob from you. <laughs> if this sounds like the cities and the neighborhoods of our day, let's just say it just like how Dave Hester says it uh, in, in um, uh, what's it, Storage Wars. Yep! Go ahead and say it with me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it sounds just like our day and age, the day we're living in today, friends. Today, filled with all kinds of wickedness and oppression. Our blood-stained streets cry out for justice. I mean, murder is just, it's just so rampant nowadays. People don't even care, care nowadays. They're going to kill you over dumb stuff. Over paper over respect, over a color. But the thing is, friends, is the blood-stained streets cry out for justice. Like the righteous blood of Abel cried out when his brother Cain slew him in Genesis chapter 4. The blood cries out for justice. So because of all of this wickedness and perversion, verse 30 happens. It's one of my life verses. It's one of the verses that I, that I try to apply to my life and that I want to live. I want to be this. I hope that's your heart too. Verse 30 says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap. I've said all of this because of this. Friends, we cannot stand before God in the gap if we're full of junk. You can't. You got to get your life right. Get your heart cleansed. Without holiness, no man will see God. You can't stand. When we, if you know anything about the Old Testament, the way that they would actually have to prepare themselves to go into the holy place, they couldn't stand with blemishes on them before the Lord. But that's what they did. There was a place called the Holy of Holies, and the, and the high priest once a year would cleanse themselves. Actually, like for like uh, 10 to 24 hours, they would prepare themselves to go in there. And what would they do? They would make intercession for Israel's sin. And this is in the Old Testament that God was looking. He was looking for someone to stand in the gap. Not for themselves, not for their family. That's good and we need to do that. But that would stand in the gap on behalf of this fallen land. But he said he found none. There's a few times in the Bible where the, where the Lord is actually looking for. You want to you be in the bullseye, bullseye, the bullseye of God? There's a few things that God is searching for. John, John chapter 3, he's searching for people who will worship him in spirit and truth. Okay, Jesus is going to seek and find uh, lost sheep. He's searching for those. And then he's looking for people who will be willing to stand in the gap. We're talking about wanting more, friends. In order for us to want more, then, then we have to understand what this actually means to stand in the gap. He sought out after. He's asking, he's saying, can I find someone who will fall on their face and cry out like Moses? Or will I be able to find someone who will plead with me to spare Sodom and Gomorrah like Abraham? 
or someone who was willing to be like Aaron, who would take the censer and fill it with incense and run between the people. And the Bible says that he stood between life and death when the plague was happening and it was, and when it was just overtaking Israel. And he took the censer and he, and he ran between them and, and, he, and it says he stood between life and death. That's what we're doing, friends. When we stand in the gap, we're, what's what we're doing? We're calling out to the life giver. We're pleading for God. Just like it says in Joel chapter 2, verse 7. We're pleading for God. Can you go to that scripture? Joel chapter 2, verse 7. It says, let the ministers weep between the porch and the altar, crying out, spare your people, O God. Let the ministers weep between the porch and the altar and cry out, spare your people, O God. Can I find someone who will stand before me with clean hands and a pure heart? I shared that. Psalms 24, verse 3 and 4. A commentator on this specific verse, he writes this. He says, it's, it's tragic when some churches are so gripped with worldliness and spiritual compromise that God uh, can find no one in the congregation who was willing to intercede by building up a wall and standing in the gap of the collapsing situation. No one to cry out against spiritual and moral decay. No one to lead the humble way in humble prayer, true repentance, and earnestly seeking God for revival. All too often, many good people remain silent out of spiritual fear or compromise rather than risking becoming fervent intercessors for revival and for turning away God's wrath and judgment. When he's talking about this, that brings to my uh, remembrance Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. And what is he talking about? He's talking about a people that would humble themselves on behalf of a land. And he says this in verse 14. If my people who are called by my name. Friends, that's not the, that's not the unsaved. It's not the people that are out on the streets. It's the people of the church who are called by his name. If you are a follower of Christ you are called by His name, will humble themselves. Friends, that's the hard part, is that many of us have a hard time even humbling ourselves in our day and age. We like to exalt ourselves, but we have to humble ourselves and pray and seek my face and do what? And turn from our wicked ways, friends. We have to turn from them. Not come to church and act like it's all good and still hold on to them. Because God knows our hearts. And he knows they're deceitfully wicked. And he knows if they're right or if they're full of wickedness. It says, then I will hear from heaven. If God's not hearing from heaven on your behalf, perhaps it's because one of these few things aren't in alignment in your life. Maybe you're not walking in humility. Maybe you're not seeking his face. And maybe you still have wickedness in your heart. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their, their sin. And he says this. What a powerful promise. And I will heal their land. I looked for a man. I looked for a woman. I looked for a person among them who would build up the wall, stand before me, so that I would not have to destroy it. I found none. He not only not only wants to destroy it, he wants to heal our land. We live in a day and age where Christianity 
is made fun of. It's a mockery. It's a distaste. What's going to change that? What's going to change that is people having radical encounters with the living God. And in order for that to happen, then we, his body, have to be willing to humble ourselves. Could you stand to your feet with me today? Earlier today, Pastor Steve was blowing this thing. This is called a shofar. Scripture says, it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. And that's Joel chapter 2, right before he asks his ministers to weep between the porch and the altar. Friends, the Lord is making a cry out to us today. That we would stop playing around. If we're serious about this Jesus thing, that we would make a covenant stance with him today. If you know that you've been living a life that doesn't line up with the word of the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do something so very powerful, so very bold. And in the name of Jesus right now, I I thank you, God, for breaking every single fear of man and every uh, man-pleasing spirit in this house in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. If you're so bold to say, I'm willing to lay down my sin at the altar today. I'm not going to live a life that's full of sexual immorality. I'm not going to live a life that's full of pornography. I'm not going to live a life that's full of sin and wickedness. I want to be in right standing with God. And I don't want to pretend like I got it all together. I'm going to ask you to do something so bold. Because it's the only only way things are going to change. Would you come forward at the altar? And would you kneel at the altar and say, "I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm done with immorality. I'm done with wickedness. need you God thank you thank you for being so bold today